Hey, 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 it's Ellie, and this is Minute Mysteries. You're in the right place. So, if you've ever listened to one of these episodes before, you already know what's up. But, just in case this is your first one, let me lay it down for you. So I have this book that is full of Minute Mysteries. They're basically short little logic puzzles that gives you a situation, and you just need to figure out what's wrong with it. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not usually very good at them, but I try my best. And I do three every time, so I'm going to read three of these, I'm going to try my best to solve them, and once I either have a definite solution, or I'm out of ideas, then we'll read the solution together, and we will laugh at how bad I am at these logic puzzles. (laughs) So two weeks ago, I got three out of three, it was amazing, I felt so proud of myself, I felt like Sherlock Holmes himself had just possessed my body. (laughs) And then last week, I only got one out of three correct. This week, hopefully, we'll be able to bump it back to three, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll see how it goes. Some of these are way harder than others, at least for me, so I don't know. If we get lucky, then we'll be good. (laughs) Anyway, with no more waffle, let's jump right in. Behind Locked Doors At the Callingham home, Professor Fordney found Clive Kingston, the judge's nephew, and Watkins, the butler, greatly excited. Forcing the library door, locked for three months, They saw the judge seated in front of the fireplace opposite the door, apparently dead. Wait, called Professor Fordney to Watkins, who had rushed into the room. He's all right, said Kingston, as he and Fordney halted over the threshold. Perhaps, but I don't want any clues obliterated. Come back carefully and get us a couple of small rugs, Watkins, commanded Fordney. Walking only on the rugs placed over the thick plain carpet, Fordney and Kingston reached the judge's side and found him dead, shot through the heart. Kingston called the professor's attention to footprints in the carpet near the fireplace. As he fitted his shoe to an impression, he said, These are mine, and those, of course, must be Watkins. Throw me your shoe, called Fordney to the butler, standing in the doorway. Yes, these are yours, all right, and I can see the third set was made by the judge. Notice the impression left by his peculiarly constructed right shoe. There's a gun under the table, called the butler. Pretty sharp eyes, Watkins said the professor, picking up and critically examining the gun. No fingerprints of- no fingerprints, of course, he mused. Look! exclaimed Kingston. The glass in that picture is broken. Were two shots fired? Only one, said Fordney, as with great care he picked up the judge's nose glasses from his lap, where they had fallen, unbroken. I think I know now who murdered your uncle. Whom did Fordney suspect, and why? So this is a locked door mystery, I presume. So the characters that we have are Clive Kingston, who is the judge's nephew, and he's kind of, you know, the next of kin, I think. Uh, Watkins is the butler, and the judge is the person who's murdered. Okay, so let's try and list the evidence that we have, all all the clues. Let's try and put them all together. So, first of all, Fordney puts rugs on the ground because he's worried about footprints. So there are footprints in the library. You see Kingston's footprints, you see Watkins' footprints, and you see the judge's footprints. And it doesn't mention them being in any specific pattern, so I don't think where the footprints are matter at all. I think it's only, um, to show who was in the room. But even then, like, somebody can wear different shoes to make different footprints. So anyway, maybe that's something to think of later. Another thing, it says that the library door that the judge was found dead in had been locked for three months. So, I guess that the judge was killed three months prior. At least three months prior. So, (laughs) I don't know, man. I guess, I mean... If Clive Kingston is his nephew, he probably doesn't live with the judge, so it makes sense that he wouldn't be found until now. Um, But still, there's a butler. 
So is Watkins Kingston's butler or the judge's butler? Because it just calls him, quote unquote, the butler. So I think he's the judge's butler. So I don't know what this thing is with the three months. Um, I think that's strange. Anyway, so on with our evidence list. So we have the locked door. We have the footprints. Also, the judge's shoes have a peculiarly constructed right shoe, apparently. Also, the gun is found under the table. Let's see. And it doesn't have any fingerprints on it, which is interesting. And there's the glass in a picture frame broken, which is strange because there is only one shot fired. So, yeah, anyway. Also, the judge's nose glasses, which are the ones that like kind of pinch your nose and stay there, I think. Apparently, they'd fallen onto his lap where they didn't break. So, I think the glasses are significant. So, anyway, we have the footprints, we have the locked door, we have the gun, we have the broken frame, like the glass frame. Yeah, I think that's basically the really important ones. So, what I'm thinking is I think we should focus on the how the glasses fell off of his face onto his lap and remained unbroken. I think it's an important fact, but again, these logic puzzles are like super full of red herrings. So, honestly, I don't know if it's important or not, but it's my best guess. So, let's see. So, the broken picture frame either indicates to me that the shot that killed the judge through the chest also hit the picture frame because you know the picture frame and the judge have been shot although the picture frame also could have not been shot at all like the frame also could have been broken by someone like bumping into it or punching it or hitting it you know maybe like during a struggle or something when the gun was out also the fact there's no fingerprints on the gun i imagine that butlers would wear gloves i don't know about this butler um but i feel like the really like official butlers wear gloves so maybe it's the butler maybe that's an important clue the fact that butlers often wear gloves but also it doesn't mention that he does or doesn't wear gloves so there's nothing provable that says he wears gloves but it is kind of common thing for them to wear gloves sometimes i don't know <laughs> it depends on where they are and what time it is so let's think about the gun because the, the gun is obviously the murder weapon so i think that's an important piece of evidence we've already mentioned rather extensively, that it doesn't have fingerprints on it. So, you know, it, it could be the butlers, like, either way, they either wiped off their prints or they were wearing gloves or something like that. Also, the gun was found under the desk, I believe. Yeah, it was under the table. So, I, it doesn't say where the table is in the library, like, relative to the judge. So, it also doesn't mention where the, um, the broken frame was on the wall relative to the judge. So, yeah. I don't think it has to do with, like, where things are in relation to each other, because it doesn't really mention anything like that. Oh, man. Dude. <laughs> I don't know. So, let's try and pick out which one is uh, the suspect. So, the only two suspects that we have are Watkins, the butler, and Clive Kingston, who is Judge's nephew. So, obviously, we don't know anything about them, so we probably couldn't assign a motive to them. Um, but I think I'm leaning towards Watkins just because of the glove thing that I've gotten into my mind. Like, honestly... I don't even think butlers wear gloves that often. I think it's more of a Hollywood thing that butlers wear gloves. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. <laughs> I live in America. I mean, it's not like we have butlers everywhere here. I don't know if the glove thing is actually a valid point, but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to say that Watkins uh, is the murderer. Why? Because he might have worn gloves? I don't know. This is a pure guess. Anyway, let's read the solution. Kingston thought his boldness in calling attention to his own footprints in the carpet would distract Fordney's attention from their significance. The room had been locked for three months. Of these three men, only Watkins rushed into the room, Fordney and Kingston halting over the threshold. Therefore, the fact that Kingston's footprints were found near the chair in which his uncle sat dead 
pointed directly to him as the murderer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I literally totally disregarded the footprints. Am I stupid? Yes, 100%. It was a big part of the story too, like they spent like a good few paragraphs talking just about the footprints. And my square monkey brain was like, no, Ellie, those aren't important. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I feel so stupid. We missed that one, but let's move on to the next one. Maybe we'll uh, do better at this one. Lost at sea. Tell us exactly what happened, said Professor Fordney as he sat in his study with Mrs. Rollins. It was a dark, moonless night. At 12 o'clock, when we were about 10 miles off Point Breeze, I retired to my cabin, leaving my husband on deck. We were alone on the boat. In a few minutes, hearing loud shouts, I joined him again. We could hear a boat approaching, running without lights, as were we. My husband told me to return to the cabin, which I did. Soon after doing so, a bump, tramping feet, and loud swearing told me our visitors had come aboard. I went up, and just as I stepped on deck, a man put a gun against my ribs and told me to keep quiet. My husband was engaged in a terrific fight with two others. They must have known he always carried that leather bag of loose diamonds, because when he dropped it in the fight, one of them picked it up from the deck. They finally knocked him unconscious and took him to their boat after binding and gagging me. As you know, I was found drifting next morning by that fisherman. How was your husband dressed? inquired Fordney. It was very hot. He had no shirt on, but wore dark trousers. Shoes or tennis slippers? Why, shoes, of course, replied Mrs. Rollins with noticeable hesitation. Well, said Fordney tersely, it's amazing to me that you expect to collect insurance on your diamonds on such a flimsy yarn. You and your husband will be lucky if you aren't prosecuted. Where did the elaborate story fall down? Okay, this one is pretty short. It was just talking about how they were on a boat and it was dark and another boat kind of flagged them down and they boarded and... I think the husband's diamonds were stolen, which he kept, like, in a bag on his person for some reason. So, dude, first of all, don't leave uncut diamonds just, like, in your pockets. Just a word of advice. <laughs> yeah, so the husband was taken to the intruder's boat, and the woman was bound and gagged and chucked into the water. Um, but she lived somehow. <laughs> so, yeah, the story is just that intruders went on their boat and took their diamonds. But one thing that I think is a little bit strange, and I think this might actually be the solution is that, like, literally, the first line of her story is, quote, It was a dark, moonless night. So, if you think about that, it's a dark, moonless night, right? And then later, it mentions, We could hear a boat approaching, running without lights, as were we. So that means, the intruder boat and their boat had no lights on. On a dark, moonless night, how could they see each other? They didn't just, like, accidentally bump into each other. Apparently, before they even got boarded, the other boat was yelling at them and was, like, kind of trying to flag them down, I think. So, like, we've been in this situation before. I've told you- I think it was last episode we got tricked by this. I call it the light trick. It's where the fact that there is no lighting or that the lights are off invalidates the entire story because the person wouldn't have been able to see or do or hear something. Um, just because it was dark. Okay, maybe not hear something, I guess. <laughs> I guess you can hear things in the dark, but you know what I mean. And it's like always like this tiny detail. So this is not the first time that we've been fooled by this, and I think that I'm correct. Because not only is it at night, but it's on a dark, moonless night. So obviously, they couldn't have seen each other. So I am actually, <laughs> I'm actually very confident in my solution there. So let's read the solution. It would have been impossible for Mrs. Rollins to have seen a man pick up from the deck the bag of diamonds. On a dark, moonless night at sea, one literally cannot see his hand before his face. Okay, 
So, <laughs> the solution mentions not being able to see the man pick up the diamonds, while my solution had to do with the boats not seeing each other to begin with. Should I give myself the point? Should I give myself half a point? I think the solution, like, the principle of the solution is the same. Like, it's too dark, you can't see anything. So yeah, I, I'll give myself the point. I got that right. Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> like, if you can't see your hand in front of your face, then obviously you wouldn't be able to see a boat from far away. Obviously you could probably hear the boat on the waves and you might have been able to hear them yelling, so I guess it's not a perfect theory, but I got the principle of it, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I'll give that to me. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the third. A suave gunman. Can you describe this fellow? Asked Professor Fordney of Henry Taylor, manager of the National Theatre. Yes, he was a tall, well-dressed, good-looking chap. Wore a Panama hat, turned-down brim, blue coat, smart blue tie, natty white flannels with silver belt buckle, black and white sports shoes, and had a general air of culture and refinement. Just what did he do? As I was counting the receipts, he came into the office, gun in hand, and commanded me to get up from the desk and move over by that table. After putting the money in a briefcase he carried, he took out a cigarette and asked me to light it for him, still covering me, of course. Then he gagged me and tied me to the chair, after which he opened the door, looked cautiously about, came back, and with a quiet, sorry, and a warning, turned and left. As he passed through the door, he unbuttoned his coat and slipped the revolver into his back pocket. The show was just letting out, so I suppose he mingled with the crowd and escaped, Taylor concluded. Are you insured against this loss of eight thousand dollars? inquired Fordney. Yes. Could you see the color of the bandit's hair? It was blonde. Anything unusual about him? No, except that he was constantly clearing his throat in a peculiar manner, replied Taylor. Left or right-handed? Why, I'm not sure. Right-handed, though, I think. This has gone far enough, Taylor, said Fordney sharply. The robbery was obviously framed by you. How did Fordney know Taylor had faked the holdup? Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So, a big chunk of the story that Fordney is told, obviously, has to do with the gunman himself and how he looks. So there's a good paragraph just talking about how he looked, and then also some of Fordney's follow-up questions at the end had to do with his looks, like what, the, what was the color of his hair and stuff like that. Um, so, one thing is strange. Um, Again, one of the questions that Fordney asks after the story is told is, could you see the color of his hair? And obviously it's blonde. But it also, in the beginning, it says he wore a Panama hat with a turned down brim. Now, my uncultured swine is monkey brain doesn't know what a Panama hat is. So let's Google it together. <laughs> Panama hat. Let's see what it is. Okay, yeah. So it's basically like, it's just a fedora, like a big fedora. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you know how on fedoras the back brim is kind of tipped up? It's basically a fedora, but with, first of all, a longer brim, and second of all, um, it doesn't do like the tipping up thing in the back. It's just like a round hat. It's almost like an Indiana Jones hat, but not as big. <laughs> and you know how cowboy hats, like American cowboy hats, have that thing on the top that's like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's got like little divots in like the hat portion. I don't know how to describe it, but it's got that shape. <laughs> so interesting. So if it's a Panama hat with a turned down brim, I think you could have seen his hair color. So I don't think knowing what the hair color is, is a problem. Because what my theory was for a little bit was that he couldn't have known that his hair was blonde because it was covered by a hat. But 
I think if his hair was long enough, obviously if it's like freaking buzz cutted, then he probably wouldn't be able to see it. But if his hair was like long enough, then it would have been able to see be seen through a hat. So I don't think that theory is solid enough. So let's see. Hold up a gosh dang minute. <laughs> so I have a theory. I don't know how solid it is, but I have a theory. Obviously, this guy, this very well-dressed gunman, um, walks into the office, has a gun in his hand, and points it at the guy, right? And he holds him up, basically. And so he has a briefcase with him in his other hand, and he puts the money into it, and then... So, think about it. He has a gun in one hand, a briefcase in the other hand, and then he takes out a cigarette and has the person at gunpoint light it for him. Does he have three arms? Like, obviously he could have put down the... Like, the whole of my theory is that he could obviously just put down the briefcase, because, I mean, obviously, but it doesn't say that he does, so, oh man. I don't really have any other ideas, so I think that's gonna be my solution, basically. Let's read the solution, shall we? Taylor said the bandit wore a silver belt buckle. This he could not have seen, for he stated, quote, As the robber passed through the door, he unbuttoned his coat and slipped the revolver in his back pocket. It would have been impossible for Taylor to have seen the man's belt buckle when his coat was buttoned. As the statement was false, the rest of his account was disregarded by the professor. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a really good point. That is a great point. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so, yeah, the belt buckle, I guess, would be covered by his jacket or his coat. And then when he unbuttoned his coat, he was facing away, so he couldn't have seen that. So, oh man. <laughs> Whew, did not do too well today, but wow, okay. I think my theory about the three hands wasn't quite solid just because it wasn't provable whether or not he was still holding the briefcase. Like, these logic puzzles always are based on complete fact and things that are provable in the text. And my theory could be easily broken by something that's implied in the text. So, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Whew. This episode was a lot of fun. Even though we only got one right, it was worth it. I will take that. I will take that. That was actually a great solution. Especially that last one with the belt buckle. That was really clever. So I just have one thing to say to you guys. If you guys like the podcast, if you have feedback, if you have other stories that you want me to read, whether it be like, I don't know, Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie, uh, More Minute Mysteries, or literally any other mystery book or crime book that you can think of, send it to me. ClassicMysteriesPod at gmail.com. I want to hear your favorite part of the mystery genre. So, yeah, anyway, I hope that you guys have an amazing day. I've had an awesome week so far, and yeah, I'm excited that I was able to do this episode. That was that was a great fun. So, <laughs> I love making these. They're they're so chill. So, yeah, I'll see you guys next Thursday. Oh, and uh, by the way, before I go, <clears throat> insert stupid death joke here. Bye. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, it's getting worse and worse every week. <laughs>